Hey, my verse chorus first friends, don't forget to check out our merch. Visit shop.versechorusverse.com for t-shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Coming up on Verse, Chorus, Verse. In 2018, an independent artist dropped some shit on SoundCloud and immediately became very popular. Popular enough to sign with Interscope and then started immediately competing with artists that had entire marketing nations behind them. The story of Juice World is fascinating. And it's next. Welcome to episode 63 of Verse Chorus Verse. I am DL, and with me is Zuni the dog. That's about it. Hi, Zuni. How are you today? She's, she says she's good. I'm going to be honest, she didn't say that, but uh, you know what? Sorry. I am on my own tonight. I kind of like being on my own tonight. You know why? I can do whatever the hell I want. And in the last episode we did where I was on my own, I came up with some episodes where I'm trying to find my favorite band of all time and the greatest band of all time through an equation, uh, which is actually a lot of fun for me to do. So I have no problem doing that. But there are also these little side projects because I went through it in that Great Search episode of why I have to do some solo episodes this year. It's not going to be that many. It's going to be a couple of rotations. It's going to be... Every like seven episodes, I'd say something like that. So it's, it's not, don't worry. You will usually have at least one more voice to leave your ears a tad, but for some reasons that I already went into, I'm going to have to do some solo episodes and I am actually pretty pleased with them. I'm kind of pleased that I have to do them. The great search is really fun. And I, I got pretty into that and it's just such a nice venue for my nerddom. And it's also something that I've just always wanted to dink around with because, you know, yeah. But there's something else too. There are also these these little stories or this little, hey, did you know about this artist that I will just start to rabbit hole and go so deep. If, if Rachel or Evil were here, one of them would have said that's what she said. So shout out to Evil and Rachel. It probably would have been Rachel. And then she would have told me to edit it out because Gus. Anyway, where was I? I end up going on these huge rabbit holes and these deep dives. And I realized that there's just so many sub layers of these musical stories that you can talk about. And I can't quite convince myself that all of these would be that interesting for other people to research. Do I think that uh, Rachel and Evil and even sometimes Sven enjoy research? I do. Do I think they enjoy it all the time? Probably not. So I come on to these stories typically by somebody saying, hey, you know, you should check this out or you may not know about this because most of the people I hang out with know that I'm just, uh, I'm a musical obsessor and they will tell me, hey, you know, I watched this video on this guy or or did you know about this this girl guitar player you know and so it gets me into it and with these episodes I can kind of pick a topic and just go to town and not worry about um, making sure that everybody around me is getting their say 
and how to split things into multiple people or, you know, what I think if, if Rachel Eve and I are doing an episode together, what's good content to where I feel like, what is the content Rachel's going to bring? What is the content evil's going to bring? And then how do I, what is that thing that maybe nobody's thought of that I can bring? It's getting harder because, and I hope they take this the right way, because Rachel and Evil are getting better at the podcast, way better. Evil always comes and it just gets more and more unique, but he always comes with these very unique takes. It's very infrequent that I leave an episode these days after talking to Evil and there wasn't at least one time where I have a, oh, I haven't thought of that. That's cool. And then Rachel, I think Rachel is just more comfortable. I, I think Rachel has caught her stride you are starting to see that she's you know i hate to admit but the sharp wit gets there and now that she's more comfortable it comes out a lot more frequently so i don't have to worry about competing with that i can just be my own stupid little self and at one point over the past few months i had a very interesting conversation with someone of a younger age that asked if i had ever heard of juice world And I kind of wrote it off because it's not my style of music. I know very, very, I knew very, very little about Juice World. I am at an age in my life, at a point of work in my life, and at a region in the continental United States of America in my life where I just don't, if you named me off 50 rappers, I'm going to know at least one song from maybe 25 of them. And the other 25, no idea. No clue. Juice World to me was just another name in the pot. And they asked me if I was into Juice World's music, which no, I, t- I was honest, I'm not. But I had never really given it a chance. I've listened to a lot of it getting ready for this. And it's still, it's just not my thing. I'm not saying it's not good. It's just not my thing. But that's really not what this episode is going to be about. This episode is going to be out of a bunch of things. And studying Juice World is the absolute cause of it. So I have a lot of respect for the younger person that came to me and asked if I, if I knew this guy's story. Because honestly, when they first said it, it was probably pretty easy to write off as, you know, young kid gets famous. Which, when you're at an age that I'm at, it's funny, when I was younger, seeing the stories of, of young people getting famous and rich and stuff, it probably bugged me a little bit. I don't want to say I was a hater, but more jealous. I don't know. Maybe those two are kind of the same thing. But now I'm to an age where it, it doesn't bug me. It's a little irritating to see what people get famous for. But we're going to touch on that probably a teeny bit later as well. But it doesn't make me angry. But what I love is this undersell of this younger person that told me to check Juice World out. The story is unbelievable. There are comparisons from this artist that you can easily draw to some of the most formidable and influential artists of of my generation and the generation before me. I see immediate comparisons to people like Kurt Cobain. And don't roll your eyes at that. Know this guy's story. Know this kid's story. It's crazy. I feel that people my age, people older than my age, and maybe even a teeny bit younger, don't know this story. And I think they should. I think it's so interesting. Anybody that's into not just music, but musicians, artists, and what they put themselves through for so many reasons that when you step back at a psychological stance, it's insane. 
It's insane what musicians, particularly famous ones, will put themselves through, not even necessarily because they need to for their art, just because it's what you're supposed to do. I'm going to get into this, that, and more. We're going to talk about Gerard Anthony Higgins, a.k.a. Juice World, born December 2nd, 1998, passed away December 8th, 2019. I think the plane ride that he died on was on his way back or going to his 21st birthday party. So so that's what, we're, that's what I am going to do tonight. I'm going to talk a little bit about Juice World's music. I'm gonna talk a lot about his death and what caused it. And I'm going to beg for thoughts, your thoughts on it as well. It's a discussion that we've been having for so many years as musicians, musician fans, band fans, uh, so many deaths that keep happening, will keep happening, have happened forever. Unfortunately, when you have a music podcast, one of the things that you're probably going to touch on all the time is deaths at too young of an age. That's just the way it is. I know that in an atypical move, because usually before break we get into what are we drinking tonight, but because that has so much to do with this episode, I'm actually going to put that on hold. I'm going to go to break first. I want to thank Sven for coming up with this uh, little lo-fi documentary beat in the background for me that you hear. I don't know how many of you know this, but Sven has, I think, an EP's worth of music around Spotify and things like that. If you just go to his Instagram, it'll point you to Spotify, I believe, at Sven Knutsen, S-V-E-N-D-K-N-U-T-S-E-N. It's a fairly rare name, so I'm sure if you typed it in on Spotify, you'd immediately get him. A lot of the break music that you heard in season one and that you hear from time to time in season two is from his EP stuff. So if you enjoy it, I would go download it. Sven is a talented guy, and I don't know that I, I am hard-pressed to think of a man that is more in love with making music than he is. I can give him a run for his money on straight passion in regards to music, but when it comes to actually making it, he just, he lives for it. I'm actually pretty excited for, I've gotten to work with him a lot over the past couple months and I'm going to a lot more. And I think it's forcing him to play more again he's been so stuck on producing people not stuck i don't mean stuck he has been so involved in production because it's his job that i think he kind of forgot how much he loves to play which i played with him i mean he lives for it anyway spend makes good music check it out there's my plug for our guy on the podcast Rachel, Evil, I have nothing to plug for you. I'm sorry. I, th- I feel like I'm going to have things to plug for Evil eventually. Rachel, I don't think I can plug governmental work. If you can figure it out, let me know. We are going to take a break, and then we are going to talk about Gerard Anthony Higgins, a.k.a. Juice World. We'll be right back. are back ladies and gentlemen gentlemen and ladies how are you season two has been fun and i 
I really do feel like the show is to, we're starting to understand what our show is. And while coming into season one, I really saw these episodes, these episodes that I have to do by myself. I don't necessarily feel like that anymore. I hope that you enjoy the solitary content. If you don't, let us know. I've only done one so far. The feedback was predominantly positive. In fact, I only got one negative piece of feedback. You know, um, fuck you. Not really. I don't mean that at all. I really don't. I enjoy negative feedback. I mean, I don't enjoy negative feedback, but it honestly doesn't bug me. I like getting it. I like knowing we need feedback. The podcast needs feedback to know what it should be. We've really concentrated hard on finding that happy medium between doing what we want to do and doing what people that listen like to hear. And I think we're finding that. The only thing that I'm unsure about, but I do think is actually going to work, are these solitary episodes. So please let me know what you think. Let's get into talking about the life and death of Juice World. And I'm going to start this conversation with what I'm drinking tonight because it has so much to do with the man that was Juice World and the culture that Juice World is in. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Lean. I don't know how many of you my age know it as Scissor or Purple Drink, but that was basically what Juice World lived on for the last at least couple years of his life. He started drinking at an incredibly young age. And that's one of the things that I want to talk about tonight is lean, which in a way is what I'm drinking tonight. But before anybody flips out, especially because my mom listens to this, I want to talk about lean. I'm calling it, I'm probably going to just call it purple drink because that's how I know it. I'm not a stranger to purple drink at all. For those of you that don't know what this is, it is a massively popular drink in hip hop culture. It started It started a long, long time ago. It actually, when I researched this, it, I'll talk about it later on, I think, but it started in Houston in like the 60s, which is incredible. I had no idea. I thought that it had derived in Houston in the early 2000s, in like 2000, 1999. I think that's just when it became one of the prominent drinks of hip-hop culture it's when songs were made about it it was you know mike jones singing about it three six mafia came out with sipping on some scissor i mean people my age if you listen to any sort of hip-hop you know that song well this is the drink they're talking about i know that we have a lot of listeners in europe i know we have a lot of listeners in the northwest so for those of you that don't know you're about to learn Lean is basically Sprite with codeine. And there's other stuff that like people will put Jolly Ranchers in it too. It's supposed to be sweet as fuck. It's supposed to be, and it is, it gets so sweet that you don't taste. It's essentially a mixer for cough syrup. It's a prescription cough syrup. A lot of people will mix other things in it. So I'm not gonna name names. Not that it matters because I'm not, I'm not really in touch with any of them anymore. But when I was in the military, my department being the job that it was, was 
predominantly African-American. I'm not at all exaggerating narration here when I say that I think I had two white friends in my entire five years in the Navy. Everybody else was, uh, my closest friend that I had ever had was from inner city Detroit. We had a group of about six or seven that we lived right next to each other. When we would go out to sea, it's out to sea. You're all living right there in bunks right next to each other. You're around each other 24 hours a fucking day. It's insane. But when we would have our stints where we would be home for a few months, we would all get apartments right next to each other. And we would, we'd eat together, we'd drink together. Like we hung out seriously every other night. And I had a real close buddy from New Orleans. I had Holly Grove. That dude would never not say the word Holly Grove. And then I had a really, really close buddy that was from Houston. He, any time that he was on the music, it was chopped, screw, it was Houston hip hop. And he and a few others always had purple drink all the time. Just the sweetest fucking, you would not believe how sweet it was. They dropped like four Jolly Ranchers in a drink. And I don't know where it started in the culture, but a styrofoam cup. You're supposed to have it in a styrofoam cup. It's really crazy. Anyway, the point being is, depending on who it was, you know, my buddy from Detroit would drink it, but and he would add some Hennessy. My buddy from Houston would just be like, eight Jolly Ranchers and some codeine and Sprite. And that was it. And my buddy from New Orleans would pop a half a pill of some sort of Oxy or something like that in there. I am not going to get into exactly what is in my concoction tonight. I can tell you that it's not illegal and that it's not dangerous. So I promise you that don't worry about me, I'm fine. That said, it's not only alcohol and I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm not going to say exactly what's in it, but it is kind of, it's around the same thing that one of my buddies did drink. And I want to say this right now in large, bold letters, I'm not encouraging people to drink this. I'm not. It is a drink that people drink. When I get shit-faced on the podcast with booze, with Rachel, Evil, and Sven, I'm not encouraging people to drink. I'm not telling you, go drink. You know, unless we're playing drinking games and telling people at home to take shots, then I guess what I'm saying is very hypocritical. But I would hope that our audience gets what that's about. And obviously, if you don't drink, you don't drink. You can still listen. Who cares? I have many sober friends and I like them just as much as my drunk friends. My family has a deep, deep history of alcoholism. I have seen it firsthand. I know how ugly alcoholism can be. I've lost two of the best friends I've ever had uh, have passed away, and both of them had massive problems with alcohol relating to their passing. I think about them all the time, and it's, I have a feeling, and I know this is the case because I talked to a few people preparing for this episode about, hey, is it offensive? Because one of the things Juice World basically died from was drinking lean. And my conversation was, A, is it offensive to drink this while talking about him? Um, by the way, I'm not drinking codeine. I am not. Codeine, it seems to be the typical relevant ingredient that is the dangerous one. 
for these drinks. That is the one that gets people in a lot of fucking trouble that'll just start hammering your nervous system. I am not drinking codeine, but I did have a few conversations of, is this insulting? Is it an honor? Is it, I mean, not an honor. It's not an honor. Sorry. That was a terrible choice of word. And it was a little bit of a mixed bag. It was a little bit of a, not a mixed bag. Nobody was like, oh, that's offensive. But there were two people that were like, well, I don't want you to drink that. That's not safe. Um, people, alcohol isn't safe, okay? I don't know if anybody knows this, but a shit ton of people die from alcohol all the time. The point that I'm trying to get to is that I think there is a deep, deep hypocrisy in the way that people look at purple drink because of the culture that it is assigned to because it's so typically put in that place of hip hop. And there is something about hip hop that immediately, almost instinctively see it as dangerous. We up here drink beer all the time. Is that dangerous? Yeah, it is. We drink bourbon. Is that dangerous? Yeah, it is. So while I did want to be very, very careful in talking about this, I also did think that there's this little bit of hypocrisy that I wanted to address with the specific type of drink that lean is. Where I landed, which I knew where I was going to land, because honestly, I don't like offending people, but I don't care when I do. That's what I'm drinking, and I like it. Uh, no, actually, I don't like it, but I do. I feel pretty good, and I am a little bit relaxed. You know what's really funny is doing these solo episodes are so much more nerve-wracking than doing episodes with Rachel Svend or Evil. I'm serious. It is. It makes no sense. But sitting here talking to myself, there's this thing where if you don't have a rapport going with somebody else, where you don't have this communication, you can get a feel really, really quick when you're talking on a podcast episode to somebody, how it's going. And it's easy for me as the host to find a new way to go that I know will set that person off and then get them going. When I'm by myself, I, I don't know. I don't know if I how to do that or if I even can. So lean, let's talk a little more about lean. It's a huge part of the culture now. A lot of big songs, they talk about it. Juice World was definitely addicted to it. He was drinking it all the time. Mac Miller, who passed away from a lot of the same stuff. Art Bell, and really no difference between, you know, death by booze and drugs. Like all my generation's heroes, um, Dolores from the Cranberries. Is there a difference between him dying on lean and Tom Petty dying from fentanyl and booze? Granted, there is a huge difference in Tom Petty being the age that he was in and Juice World being 20 fucking one. But still, it's this cultural danger of where you were born, what race you are, what sex you are, where you live, all these things matter in term of what you end up addicted to. And lean is one specific culture's dangerous thing, one of many dangerous things. As you can see, even just by going into the drink that this guy typically drank, I could do two episodes with panels of people talking about purple drink and the dangers and if it's fair to see it as so much more dangerous than other things that people in different cultures do. It's extremely addicting, but so is alcohol. 
codeine, it's very addictive. And it did. It started in Houston back in the 60s. The hip hop and Motown, the big thing there was mixing cough syrup with beer. It's just always been a major part of the subculture. And there is another part of the culture that leads to nothing changing. It's a lot of the exact same stuff that people in my demographic deal with. And that is the stigma of badassness and the toughness. Many people have died from purple drink, but as rap said, okay, we need to do something about this. We need to fucking stop. Not really, not really at all. Future, the rapper who drank lean and then quit it. I don't remember if they said in the interview he quit it before or after Juice World died, if that was any part of the reason, but he said a massive part of not wanting to stop drinking lean was his persona. If I go sober, what does that mean for my career? He has an incredibly good point because there is this stigma. It's the same thing with rock and roll. It's the same thing with slash and metal bands and rock bands and any band. If you go out on stage with a bottle of Jack and you do your thing, you're a fucking badass. It's true. I feel that way. I still feel that way. I want my artist out there tortured. And part of the tortured aspect is being addicted to substances. It's ridiculous. We'd make jokes all the time. I remember when Stone Temple Pilots later on in their career, when they were so hit and miss, the big joke between my friends and I were, oh, well, Scott Whalen needs to get back on the heroin because his music sucks again. I'm fully admitting that, yeah, it's true. I still think I feel that way. There are times where I feel like I need to have a drink on the pod because I'm just not, I'm not loosened up. You know, I remember when I was in my 20s playing stupid gigs. If I didn't have a drink next to me, I'd feel kind of like a loser. I mean, we all know what happens to so many musicians. Nat King Cole, he famously would say that he smoked three packs a day because he insisted it's why he had such a good voice. And that's the really, really sad and scary thing about these artists getting so famous so young. Speaking for myself, as a person that wanted nothing more than to be seen as a true artist and have millions of people love my music, at 18, if you had asked me, hey, you get to tour and play for millions for three years, but after that three years, you die. I can honestly tell you that I more than likely would have said yes as an 18-year-old. The push to want to do what you truly feel you were born to do, it pushes certain people unconditionally. It probably pisses people off just to hear that, but I bet there are other people listening that can totally relate. You know, in 2018, there was a the Breakfast Club interview. If, if, for any of you that don't know, there's this massive hip hop show called The Breakfast Club. Charlemagne the God puts it on. YouTube's global head of music, Cohen, who uh, previously ran Def Jam, he used to run Def Jam, Warner and 300. He vehemently chastised hip hop's lean problem. If you listen to that interview, he's a fucking politician. He's ready to, you know, clean up the streets and get into those inner cities. But what's amazing about that interview is Charlemagne the God immediately bounces back at him and tells him you're hypocritical because you have artists signed who glorify lean. He started citing artists that he has signed, singing about lean, singing about purple drink. And Cohen kinda, you hear him pause and he says, and I quote, I got a family to feed. It's a, <laughs> 
Cohen's answer shouldn't surprise anybody, but unfortunately he's not alone in that detrimental logic. And furthermore, why is that his job anyway? Who's to say that an artist isn't allowed to just go out in a burning building of drugs and chaos and alcohol? Who's to say that we don't need incredibly flawed heroes? Maybe that's why artistry is artistry and that it's impossible to be that amazing of an artist at times if you are not that tortured. I mean, what do you do? Do you make everything illegal? Do you stop people from doing things? Is it possible to stop people from doing things? I don't think it is. I guess I should, should I think about pausing and building a warning at the beginning of this saying, this is a DL Goes Dark episode because it really is. And I'm, I'm not trying to make it that dark. I swear that this is just more fascinating to me than dark. Juice World's music is not basic hip hop. I know that we have a lot of fans of this podcast that don't listen to hip hop. Our demographics right now are somewhere around, we don't know specifically, but we know that we're around 70% male, 30% female, and we are in the 90% of white. Our podcast audience as we speak, and probably moving forward, I have no delusions of picking up a completely multicultural audience as much as I would love it, but I also don't want people to think, I don't want to be who are not to get a specific audience. I don't want people to feel like we're talking about four rap albums, a rotation, because we need those African-American votes. I will never be like that. And I don't really need to be because I do love hip hop. I really, really do. And I am fairly knowledgeable about it. I did learn a ton about it in my naval career and really have enjoyed it since. The very windy road that I'm taking is to say that I would guess there are a lot of people that listen to this podcast that don't enjoy rap because they think every single song sounds the same or every single song does the same thing. And to me, you are absolutely right. It does. Modern hip hop, hip hop in the early 2000s, I think there was a stint in the 90s. There are ruts that rap gets in where they talk about the same stupid shit for a few years. There's 9,000 artists that just do the same safe crap. And you know what? It's the exact same thing that happens to rock and roll. It's the exact same thing that happens to country. It's not one specific genre, it's all of them. But I do fully agree that a lot of rap can just sound exactly the same. The reason that I bring that up is because that was not Juice World. Juice World was not like that at all. Go and listen to the first couple songs on his Spotify. Go and listen to the songs that have a billion streams. By the way, that wasn't a mistake. He has songs with well over a billion streams. Billions with a B. This guy was not, this guy started on SoundCloud. He was recording shit on his phone and putting it on SoundCloud. Interscope got a hold of him, gave him $3 million, and he immediately, immediately blew up. And when I say blew up, I'm talking it's Taylor Swift, it's Justin Bieber, it's Juice World. Not kidding. Blew up. These people, these factories, the Taylor Swift nation, Beyonce, the conglomerates. This guy was right there with just him and his beats. It's amazing. His music is music and he doesn't really rap all that much. He sings, 
lots of auto-tune, and it, like I said in the beginning, it's not my jam. It just isn't. But you go in, you turn this on, and you immediately see exactly what young people would be in love with this for. It is very heartfelt. It is very mixture between teenage angst and love and pain. And I take these pills for this and I'm depressed and life sucks. I love her and she left me. It is different. It is very different. I always love when hip hop goes this route, when they get a, just a little bit rock. It's why Kid Cudi might be my favorite hip hop artist right now, because you listen to his music, he has a musically driven soul, not rap driven soul. It's why I loved Outkast so much. You find artists in each era of hip hop, but it's rare. And this guy did it. And I think this guy did it because his mom, when he was a kid, didn't let him listen to rap. His mom thought rap was terrible and inappropriate and you couldn't listen to it. But she let him listen to rock. So he got into rock music. And now if you go and you listen to his songs, you can tell right away. It's just so relatable for younger people. And I remember actually shout out to my work buddy who very last, I mean, I think it was like three days ago, he told me about a documentary about Juice World that was on, I think it was HBO. And I went and watched it. And it's not, well, it's not really a documentary. It's really just, it's him flying around on tour. That's all it is. You're just watching footage of him going around on tour. These places are packed to the brim. The crowds are unbelievable. All just chanting every single word of this dude's music. These young people are just so into it. I love that. I love the whole rock roots thing, but it's so rare. People like Kid Cudi and Juice World, people like that, they're rare because the African-American culture, mental health and having mental issues and instability, it's not a function, for lack of a better word, that they have really been allowed until very recently. I remember my buddy Mac back in the Navy was an incredible rapper. He had this feel for beats that would work, choruses that would sound great, and he would want to sing. I remember I was playing a Faith No More tune once in my studio. We were all just dinking around partying and drinking and stuff. We had it on a mix of shit and Faith No More came on and he flipped out. He was like, I want something like that that I can make a song out of. He just had this ear. And I remember I produced, I used to dink around with producing for some of my Navy buddies, just mixtape stuff, really archaic. You know, I had like a eight track mixer and would create some beats, drum machine, all that stuff. And I would create beats for them and quote unquote produce them. You know, I think they just liked the whole, cause who doesn't like it at that age? I'd set up the mic and stuff in the bathroom, great acoustics in the bathroom and just let them go to town. And it was fun. It was a blast to do for freaking seven hours on a Friday night. But I remember Mac. Mac would go in and he would say amazing lines about pain and mental anguish and how hard life is. And, and I apologize, I'm turning Oxford philosophy into elementary, but he was just incredible. And he'd get out of the booth and all the other guys would shit on him. Dude, that fucking sucks. And then the next guy would get in and he would rap about how rich he was and the car he drove, which was a fucking lie, by the way. And everybody loved it. And I hated that. 
I thought it was so fucking stupid. I didn't understand. I would be sitting there going, dude, Max should be fucking famous right now. Max should be selling millions of albums. You guys are saying the same shit that the 800,000 other people have said before you. That's not a judgment because I do the same exact thing as a rock and roll person. It's not like the shit that I write is super original. If I sat down with every single song that I've written, I'm sure that I could draw a direct comparison directly to two artists. Go, oh, that's great. Now why don't you go write something that isn't Muse and whatever. But the point was that he was not allowed to talk about mental health. The willingness to seek mental health is a major issue for the black community, specifically males, both because of the culture and the resources available. Future, when I talked about his interview and he talked about stopping drinking, he stopped taking drugs, he absolutely did say it. Even if you could, which where the fuck? Where are you gonna go? They don't have resources for that. But if you did and anybody found out, it'd be fucking over for you. You'd have zero respect. I think that had a huge impact on Juice World. There's even a part in an interview that I read where when he first went to his mom and talked to him about it, his mom was like, you, you need to go to church. That was, just go to church. That was the fix. I don't think it was until she really realized that he was in deep with the drugs that she turned a corner on it and said, okay, we need to go get you help. When you have somebody that age, when I said that I saw comparisons to Cobain, here's my comparison. The problem with somebody like Cobain that feels that hard and wants, sorry, not wants, that can't help but put himself through these torturous thoughts to be at the age that Cobain was at, which is young, and to have all the resources in the world for anything dangerous you want, you're fucking doomed. You just, you're doomed. Watching the Juice World thing that I told you about on HBO, it wasn't really a great documentary. I really didn't think it was. It was just, it, and I don't think it was meant to be. I think it was just a lot of footage. It was just meant to show you what Juice World was like. It is one of the most depressing things I've ever watched in my life. I'm not kidding. Because from the very jump until the very end, the whole fucking movie is him on tour. And you know what him on tour is? It's him. It's this little 19, 20 year old boy with a bunch of other 19, 20 year old kids. All the money that they could possibly hope for, for drugs, alcohol, anything. And they're just going around the world doing that every day because why not he would go to his gig when somebody would hold his styrofoam cups or he'd just take it on stage with them he'd come back and start up again with the pills and the drink pills by the way was also a massive thing for him i i don't think that i i haven't talked at all about pills he was downing pills like nobody's business i have his toxology report jesus christ positive for caffeine cottonine naloxone hydroxy delta 9 delta 9 carboxy delta 9 those are thc's three different thc's promethazine codeine morphine hydrocodone oxycodone oxymorphone that was in his toxology report so that's all he was on yeah right i won't go into the numbers you can look it up online you can see the number the amount of each one of those it was a lot of oxy, it was a lot of codeine. It's bad, man. And he was doing this all day, every day. 
there's this part where he's divvying out some pills to himself and he always offers them. He's always like, hey, you want to you roll this? And he's kind of messing with the pills and he turns around and kind of goes up to the camera and he sticks his tongue out and he's got five fucking pills on his tongue and he's smiling and then he walks away. I don't give a fuck what, I don't know what those pills were. I'm guessing Oxy. Nobody should be able to just take five Oxy. Like it's nothing. Any of you that have lived the life, you know that that's not good. I have had times in my life where I was addicted to things. I've been around a lot of people that were. If you're to the point where you're popping five pills at a time, that's a lot. And I think at the time of his death, from multiple interviews that you listen to, it ended up being way more than five. There would be parts in interviews where I think it was his photographer that was following him around, was really trying hard to keep him in check, to keep his substances in balance. Juice World would, he'd go on stage and he'd say, make sure to get me this amount of drink. Or when he'd be in studio, he'd tell somebody, hey, go get me a drink and drop he started having people drop pills in his drink along with the codeine. I don't think they ever said how much codeine he was actually drinking, but he would tell them to pop like four pills, five pills into his drink. And the photographer would always try anytime he could to stop them and be like, don't fucking put five pills in that fucking drink. Put one or put a half in there and just tell them that you did. There were tons of stuff like this in the footage. He never did not have a bottle of pills in his hand. 20 years old, guys, 20 years old. Unlimited access to drugs. You got a group of young friends, everybody's high, all they're eating is fast food, all they're drinking is this. It's so hard to watch. I remember there was one specific time where he's done on stage and one of his crew is immediately basically going to show him that he made him his purple drink exactly how he wants it to be made just trying to get clout with him you know look look what i did for you boss kind of thing it's so fucking depressing dude he's in this weird delirious he never seems awake in any of the footage there's this other really brutal part where they're on a jet and he and his girlfriend are just faded juice world's just rambling he's just talking and he is chopping up pills to snort. I'm sure it's probably Oxy. He's chopping up Oxy to snort. And he is mid-passing out while he's doing it. He's talking to the guy about music and things like that. And then he's kind of getting out a pill and he's putting it on his like Nintendo Switch that he's cutting it on. And then he kind of, uh, and his eyes close and he's gone. And then like four seconds, his eyes wake back up and he starts chopping. Doesn't even wonder what he was doing or anything. It's just like automatic back to chopping up drugs. It's really honestly hard to watch. It's tough. You give kids that much money. They had nobody to look up to. There's an interview that I read too about how little money he was spending. They really thought he was going to spend more money. But when you're a kid that young, he had his comfort zone. He had what he wanted. He was eating fast food. He was drinking purple drink. He was doing pills. He liked dirt bikes, but that's it. What the fuck was he gonna do with a Bentley? He didn't feel the need for any of that shit. So all, I think all of his money was just going to drugs. It's really disturbing to think of these kids being on tour like that. There's no adulting able to happen. I understand that a lot of these kids have to grow up quick. I understand that Juice World grew up in Chicago, South Chicago to be exact. 
that's not an easy place to grow up. He said he started drinking purple drink at like 15 or 14 or something like that. And it was just part of his life. That's just what he did. I understand that you have to grow up faster than that, but you watch these things and you listen to these interviews. This guy was not grown up. This guy didn't know what he was doing. But why should he? And how could he? His death is very, I mean, the way he died is he fucking died of drugs. But on December 19th, he had flown on a jet. They had been tipped off somehow because it ended up being raided. There were people interviewed saying that the jet took a while to take off and it doesn't usually do that. So I think they were tipped off earlier. And then when they landed, FBI was there. There is a lot of he said, she said about whether Juice World took a bunch of drugs right then to hide them from the cops. Nobody knows that or not. If you read the interviews, half the people say, yeah, I think that's true. Half the people say, no, 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 nothing like that. But essentially, at the same time that they were about to be raided, Juice World had a full-on seizure and died, basically OD'd. And boy, they found, they found like 75 fucking pounds of weed on his plane. J- just crazy shit. And that's, that's how he died. Two fucking studio albums. He had two albums. He had Goodbye and Good Riddance in 2018. He had Death Race for Love. 2019 which was that was the tour that he was on and then he's got some other studio albums uh, legends never die fighting demons and the party never ends tva but how you ask he's dead well maybe that's something else we should talk about posthumous releases how do we feel about these i don't feel good i don't fucking like them juice world might be a little bit of an exception because if you really study him in his life all he did was rap one of the most incredible things about him and things that you hear people talk about a lot in the interviews and everything is how insanely amazing of a freestyler he was and not you know there's a lot of really good freestylers there was something very special about him and radio shows where he would go on and he would do like 20 minutes of freestyle things that where there's no way in hell you could have pre-written it and that's something that i've always thought about freestylers is there's got to be a little part of them that just sits down and practices this shit and memorizes specific lines (laughs) watching him he wasn't doing that he was not in the lab he was not working on shit he just showed up and did it he was an amazing talent which is just crazy to me how fucked up he was while he was doing these concerts. I'm sure most of you have done codeine because you were sick. I'm sure most of you have been on Oxy because you had surgery. You are not tip top shape of your mind. You are slow, you're fucking dim-witted. Anytime that I've ever been on anything like that, there's no way in hell that I could function. And he's just ripping. They start the show that I watched with him freestyling for a really long time. Like I was saying, I have a different feel for him because he was always just working stuff and he was doing so much right when he died that I think that he would have released this stuff anyway. His mother is the lead on his estate. So it's essentially, I don't know. I don't know if it's his mother saying, yes, please release all this. All I know is that 
Juice World sure isn't saying release it. And I will always have an issue with posthumous releases. I will always have an issue with the fucking seven albums that Tupac had after he died. I don't get it. Art is very personal and it takes work. And if I was a famous artist, when I died, they got onto my computer and they saw 800 tracks. You know why I hadn't released those 800 tracks? Because I don't like them. You know, I have 25-ish tracks on my computer right now of songs that I've written. I think I've shown 10 of them to Sven and we're working on them, maybe, maybe a little bit less. You know who gets to hear those other 15? Nobody, ever, because I don't like them. They're for me. You can't gauge that with somebody that has died. And I just don't think it's right. That's something that I would really like to have a, a bigger panel conversation on as far as the podcast. I do, I really wanna do an episode where we talk about, is that cool or is that fucking lame? Cause there's also the selfish part of me that do I wanna hear 20 more prints out? Oh shit. I honestly did not do that on purpose. Uh, for those of you that don't listen to all of the episodes of the podcast, Maybe you are more of a hip hop head and you just wanted to hear some talk about Juice World. which, hey, welcome. Hope you enjoy. If you want to hear more talk about music and drinks, listen to some other episodes. But this year we have a drinking game where each person has a very specific artist that if they mention, they have to drink. Mine is Prince. And I just did it on a solo episode. No bait, no nothing. Jesus Christ. <sighs> There's my drink, guys. So that's something that we will get into on another episode. There's also one other thing that I wanna get into. What is stealing and not stealing a song? Another thing that I'm just gonna briefly touch on that I'd actually like to talk more later about on a different episode with a panel. Lucid Dreams, which is Juice World's most famous song, the one that I was talking about with over a billion streams. For those of you that have never heard it, it samples Shape of My Heart by Sting, which is a great song. It's, uh, God, I think, wasn't it on the professional soundtrack or Leon or whatever you want to call it? It's a good song. He sampled it. They didn't ask for the rights or anything like that. So he got sued to get the rights. And now Sting, I think it's 85% of the income from that song. What's weird to me is the narration online. If you go and look around on it, it's so anti-Sting. I don't understand that. And I want to talk to people that feel a different way about it. Sting wrote that song. Sting wrote that beat. And I get that now you're, you're singing something different that is doing well, but a song does not start with the lyrics. It doesn't. You took somebody's music, you took somebody's music without asking and you got huge off. But if you go online, the narration is very fu like, fuck Sting, fuck that asshole. I don't understand this. I'm honestly asking, is this the way music is going toward now? I am so not understanding and out of the loop in terms of streaming. I don't like using it. I do because it's so fucking easy, but I don't like using Spotify or Amazon Music or anything like that. The artists for Spotify get what? 0.00003 cents per thousand downloads or, or streams or something? Amazon Music, they get double that. Oh yay, 0. 0.00007, that's fantastic. I don't get the whole structure anymore, I clearly don't. So maybe it is a thing where maybe sampling is just okay now because I do see the point of police 
Sting, you got enough money off of your song, buddy. You're doing okay. Let somebody else have a turn. I get that, but I do not agree at all. Sting wrote that fucking song. It's his song. But like I said, that's something for people to ponder. Write me, tell me how you feel about it. I really honestly want to know and I want to have a full-on discussion about it. Nick Mira, who's his producer, who's another fucking like 19 year old. It's all, God, these kids, they're just kids. It's insane. You know, multimillionaire, 21 year old producer just went ape shit on Twitter or whatever on Sting for suing them for taking the rights to the song. It's his fucking song. The story of Gerard Anthony Higgins is an amazing tragedy in so many ways. And it's such the same thing as musicians dealt with in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. My heroes died young. The next generation's heroes, it seems, are the same. And I don't know what that says about people. I don't know if it's a shame that we look up to these people. I don't know if it's a beautiful thing that we look up to these people, that we shouldn't be looking up to people with so many drug and health and mental issues. Or if it's great that we look up to people that have drug and health and mental issues. There's a humanity to it. There's a vulnerability to it that is relatable to most people. In the end, Juice World won for favorite male hip-hop artist in the American Music Awards in 2020. He was nominated for favorite album in 2021, Legends Never Die. The BET Awards, he was nominated as Best New Artist in 2019. The BET Hip Hop Awards, he was nominated in 2018 for Best New Hip Hop Artist. For the Billboard Music Awards, he won Top New Artist in 2019. Lucid Dreams was nominated for Top Hot 100 Song, Top Streaming Song, Top Rap Song. In 2020, Death Race for Love, a posthumous album, was nominated for Top Rap and Album, and he was nominated for Top Artist. In 2021, he was nominated for Top Artist, Male Artist, Billboard 200 Artist, Rap Artist, Rap Male Artist, and Legends Never Die was nominated for Top Billboard 200 Album and Top Rap Album. iHeartRadio Music Awards, he won 2020 Death Race for Love posthumously Best Hip Hop Album. MTV Music Awards 2018 Lucid Dreams was nominated. 2020 Godzilla, which was a song he did with Eminem, was nominated for Video of the Year and Best Hip Hop. Two years, guys. Two years he was in the industry. On June 5th, 2021, Juice World surpassed Travis Scott to enter the top 20 most streamed artists of all time on Spotify. That's counting lead credits. December 17th, he had a three-song EP, and that was really what blew him up. It was a project that was covered by Lyrical Lemonade, which is Cole Bennett, who's kind of a, another young kid, a multimedia company, kind of a blog, sort of hip hop blog, if you will. He covered the EP and just talked about how brilliant it was and then went on to direct a bunch of music videos for Juice World. And after that, that's when he got signed to Interscope Records. He signed for three mil. He did a song with Little Yachty, who at the time was huge. He did a song called All Girls Are The Same, which is his second most highly streamed song of all time. No, uh, 
It's not, I'm sorry, it's robbery. Robbery, then all girls are the same. And 2018 was when he came out with The World on Drugs and Death Race for Love. World on Drugs was a collaborative mixtape that he did with Future, Future who we talked about earlier. If you can find it, I don't, sorry, I don't remember where I found it, but there is an interview with Future where he talks about quitting drugs. He talks about Juice World's death. He talks about Lean. It's such a good interview. Future is, God, that's a, that's a really, really good interview. And I'm sorry, I wish I could remember where I saw it. And in 2019, he was just massive. She was competing with the biggest of the best. And then he died. That's the story of Juice World. I would say three years being generous. Three years of massive, massive fame. And then death. All because of... I don't know why. I don't know why. Can you just say drugs? Can you say depression? Can you just say youth given too little of a leash? All I know is that the last time that they accumulated the numbers, Juice World has 20.3 billion streams. It's a story that we're just going to keep telling in the music industry. It's a story that's been around long before I was, and it's a story that's going to be around until this earth ends in 2031. Hopefully this episode wasn't too much of a bummer. If you get a chance, even if you're not into it, just go listen to a couple songs. Just kind of see. It, it's a fascinating look at what a younger generation listens to. It's a fascinating look at a younger generation's Green Day or a younger generation's Kurt Cobain, or a younger generation's Janis Joplin. Juice World deserves our respect as an artist. Doesn't matter what genres you're into or not. The amount of people that he touched is what matters. And it's, it's a lot of people. Thank you everybody for listening to this. I am sorry that this was not more of a documentary style point by point. That's just not me. I don't like reading off of Wikipedia. I'm not a fan of that. I like people at their most genuine. I hope this worked for you. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Cheers to you all. Come back next week. Quick fire reviews. I think they're my favorite episode to do. Yep, 10 albums. Rachel, Evil, David James Liston, AKA DL. Love you all. Hope everybody's doing well and taking care of themselves. Reach out if you need me. Good night and good luck. Mm-hmm.